everyone. Did I get any matadors out there? See, son? You know? Come on. I tell you, it is great to be back home. This is my birthplace in the Lord, the North Region, back in the day. And, of course, uh, we love the Hammers, both Hammer families, uh, but also the Mancinis. He was my first evangelist. So I'm very proud to have been part of them in the beginning. Uh, Obviously, as you know, I am Krista's brother, which she really appreciates me saying. Because in the beginning, it was always, oh, you're Derek's sister. But now, since I've been gone, it's, oh, you're Krista's brother. So, So she's the more famous one now, which is great. She deserves it. She's been very faithful. But it has been great to be with her family. And, of course, uh, my mom and a good friend, Michael, are here with us today. You can stand up. I want to introduce you guys. Okay. You want to know what I was really like? Just talk to my mom so to get you all the details. But uh, I'm just very grateful just to be able to have an opportunity to share with you. Uh, just I've always wanted to come back to the North region, to the people I knew from the beginning, and be able to just share what God's done in my life. Obviously, we're overseas uh, in the Soviet Union there in the beginning. Obviously, it changed a year later to just being Eurasia. But uh, we've been all over, but now we reside in Dallas, Texas. We've been there for the last eight years, almost nine. Longest we've ever been one city. Still moved a lot in the city. That's just the way we live. But, uh, you know, Weirs County, I think we've moved 16 homes in our 18 years of marriage. So there you go. But uh, it is just great to be here. And obviously it is 4th of July. So, you know, obviously when I asked, you know, Ron, say, hey, any needs? They says, oh, whatever's on your heart. I'm like, but it's independence that you kind of have to, like, weave it in there. So I'm going to start off with Independence Day and then get to what I really want to preach about. Okay, so let's get to the basics. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women, they didn't write it in there, but we'll conclude it, are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. You recognize those? I didn't until I wrote them, so I I was like, what? I know I've heard that somewhere. That's part of the Declaration of Independence. And on July 2nd, 1776 is when they revised the document, originally written by Thomas Jefferson, but declared their independence July 4th, 1776 is when they adopted it as their own. But it actually wasn't officially signed until August 2nd of the same year. Didn't know that. Thought that was interesting. But see, on July 4th, we celebrate... Independence Day. But as I think Tim alluded to, is that something we really want to celebrate? Has independence truly brought us life, liberty, and happiness? Has it really? Is it not really freedom that we should be celebrating? See, I think we make a mistake when we think freedom, when we take freedom for independence. And therefore make it very difficult to define true freedom. Jesus came to define true freedom. His declaration was not of independence, but of dependence on God. And with dependence on God, we can have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Look at these passages for life. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Boy, that sounds fun. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You can be independent, not depend on God. Will you have life? Or you can depend on God 
and have life to the full. What about liberty? Galatians 5.1, it was referred to. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You can be independent and be totally enslaved to sin. Think of most of our sin. Isn't it done with our independent, selfish spirits? I mean, in reality, it's funny. We want to be independent to discover who we are, and yet the best of who we are is from all the people we depended on in our life. I am who I am because of the dependence on my mom and my dad. I am the husband and father and because of the dependence on my wonderful wife, Leanne. I am not who I am because of independence, except the bad stuff. That's just reality. True freedom is only in Christ. What about the pursuit of happiness, which is conditional, by the way? Jesus has something better than the pursuit of happiness. John 15, 11 says, I told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. An unconditional joy. Happiness is conditional. You want to be independent? You can find moments of happiness followed by usually regret and shame. But with Jesus, we can find a joy that is everlasting, even through difficulty, even through struggle, even through our own sinful nature. He can return joy to us through forgiveness. So we need to celebrate freedom, not independence. True freedom is not a license to do and say as we please. That's often what we uh, misunderstand. We have incredible freedom in Christ, but we must be spiritual. You know, I wonder if this quote is somewhat prophetic for our nation. French writer Alexis de Tocqueville, after visiting America in 1831, said this, I sought for the greatness of the United States in her commodious harbors, her ample rivers, her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. I sought for it in her rich mines, her vast world commerce, her public school system, and her institutions of higher learning. And it was not there. I looked for it in her Democratic Congress and her matchless Constitution. And it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Wow. Used to be in God we trust. And yet that's not the states we see a lot today. See, because we're going after independence rather than freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If we truly want freedom, we must be sure we are walking with the Spirit. And I know that a lot of you, you've been disciples for a while. And it's a scary thing because we can so easily begin to depend on our experience, even though it may be good, rather than the Spirit. This is why the youth and campus ministries are so important. They help us remember that it's not about experience. It's about the spirit. You know, you know that I went to Russia, but you may not know exactly how it all turned out. 
You know, before they sent the team, there was a day, I was only three months old in the Lord. I had just shared a communion in the North Region, my first ever, and I loved it. I was like, I like being up here. This is cool. I get to share all my worst stuff, and it, like, helps people. This is awesome. The next day, I get a call from Kip. says, hey, this weekend we're having this little Russian weekend. I'm like, great, I'll be there. He's like, no, 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 you got to understand, if you come, you might get selected on a team. Yeah, all right. No, 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 if you get selected, you're going to have to, like, leave America, school. Jesus Lord, man, I already made that decision. See, I was young. I didn't know any better. It's a good thing. See, now with my experience, I'd be like, well, let me think about that one. So I go. Leanne, of course, was there. She was their nanny at the time. And there was 25 people there that weekend. And I remember it was kind of unique for me because that same weekend, I finally got into the world-class race of the steeple at Mount Sac. You know, the runners, they know what Mount Sac is. It's It's like the second largest track meet in America. And I didn't care. I was so excited to be with brothers and sisters willing to go somewhere. But over the weekend, we did a lot of different stuff. But then Sunday morning, they're going to select the team. And there's two rooms. It's kind of like American Idol. And they go, okay. So they sent some to that room and some to that room. And they just said, you know, one of those rooms will be the mission team. I'm dead serious. And now, what was interesting is of those 25 people, there was a lot of people that had been disciples for 10 years, 12 years, knew Russian, studied Russian, been overseas. And then there was another group of us who were less than a year in the Lord, never spoke another language, even the Spanish we tried to speak. And suddenly I noticed that all the young ones were heading toward that room and all the older ones are heading toward that room. I'm like, there's the team. So, you know, walk to the room, you know, try to have a good heart about it. And then I never heard any clapping. You know, American Idol, like, did they make it? Did they not? And then he walks in the room, says, you're the Moscow mission team. And I got to admit, I was like, you're kidding me. And I pulled Kip aside, Kip, I, I, I have to know, why us? And this is what he said. He says, well, yeah, they could go and depend on their experience, their language. You could only go and depend on God. And I believe that's why God did some amazing things. Guys, today, let's not celebrate Independence Day. Let's celebrate Dependence Day, depending on God. Amen? Now to my real message. But I have a tie-in. In order for us to truly have freedom, you must have the Spirit. And I think that is one of the most untalked-about topics in our kingdom. You have the Spirit study, which usually is what the Spirit's not. For those charismatic backgrounds, that was me in the past. But do we really know what the Spirit is? If we want true freedom, true dependence on God, we've got to walk with the Spirit. All of last year, I decided, you know, I need to know more about the Spirit. And so I began to read every passage of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation on Spirit. There's a lot of them, by the way. And I did messages from Genesis to Revelation for the whole year. One of those lessons I want to share with you today. It comes on a guy that had a double portion of the Spirit. So you figure, that's the guy we can learn something from. I mean, because he didn't just have the Spirit, he had a double portion of the spirit. You guys know who he is? Elisha. Give you a little background. He followed Elijah, pretty powerful guy in his own right, taken up to heaven. But before he was taken, Elisha made a request. 
you know, Elijah made a request to Elisha, said, what can I do for you? And Elisha, it's like very humble, said, oh, nothing. No, that's not what he said. Give me a double portion. Now, if some of you are like, well, that is just arrogant. No, it's not, because God didn't reprimand him for that. God actually included that in the scriptures for us to understand, guys, we need to expect greater things of ourselves. We've got to not be afraid to have crazy requests to God. We're, we're too cautious, especially the older we get in the Lord. Are you just asking to get by faith or a double portion of faith? Are you just asking for acceptable purity or absolute purity? I mean, you can add whatever word, whatever issue you have in your life. Are we settling for less or are we asking for more? From a God who is willing and waiting to answer us. Elisha was willing to ask boldly. But Elijah, of course, goes, well, it's not up for me to decide. But if you see me when I'm taken up, then your request will be given. And, of course, we know he saw him. And he takes up Elijah's mantle, hits the water just like Elijah did, and walks across. And one of the key things the Scripture says in 2 Kings chapter 2, and you can turn there because we'll be reading that, those passages, we see that the other prophets go, look, the spirit of Elijah is upon Elisha. And so from this point on, whatever we see in Elisha is going to teach us about how the spirit works. And something I learned, just very simply or generally, what is the Holy Spirit? It's this, very simply. Whenever God is working in his creation, the Holy Spirit must be present. Even the creation itself, the Spirit was hovering over the waters. Whenever you see something miraculous, God is speaking the breath of God through his Spirit, which is how we get the word, the Spirit. Is God working in his creation? If you want God to work in your life, you must have his Spirit. There is no other way. If God took the Spirit away, we'd all be dead. Whether you believe or not, whenever the Spirit is present, God is working in His creation. Anyone here want God to work in your life? Then you must learn about the Spirit. Let's see the first account of now Elisha, a double portion. This is kind of an obscure little passage. Then you go, what are you going to preach from that? But uh, you will be amazed of what you can learn from any scripture. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 16. The spirit on Elisha. Verse 16 says, Look, they said, We, your servants, have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Because, see, Elijah was taken. They're like, let's go find him. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down in some mountain or in some valley. Now, maybe that scares you to walk in the Spirit. Because it may just pick you up and put you somewhere else. I experienced that. Okay? I've been in many different countries, many different homes, and I'm always having a bag ready just in case. Now, I just imagine, what if you were like cooking, you know? Boom! There you are, gone. You know? Or what if you were doing other things? Boom! And you're gone. You know what I mean? Are you ready for the Spirit to move in your life? We've got to be ready all the time, guys. Are you ready? Elijah got picked, picked up all the time. He says, no, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too ashamed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they returned. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days. 
three days seems to be a lot in the scriptures, but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? The men of the city said to Elisha, look, our Lord, this town is well situated. You know, being in America, we're well situated. As, as Ron shared, guys, we are very blessed. I've had the experience to live in a lot of different countries. We are blessed. You know, even some of the churches we support in Eurasia, particularly Belarusia, you're not even allowed to publicly be on the street with a Bible. If you were caught publicly with a Bible, that's two years automatically in jail. But our brothers and sisters keep reading the Bible every day there. They have to memorize it to go share on the street. Are you ready to do that? It's convicting, isn't it? Well situated, but as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. You know, that's one of the curses I face having been in the Soviet Union. Because I saw God produce amazing things. From the very first day in Moscow, we had daily baptisms. By the second month, there was two-a-day baptisms. By the third month, there was three-a-day baptisms. I remember one year in St. Petersburg. We had only been there a few months. Uh, Leanne and I got to plant that church with an amazing team. And there was 90 disciples in the church in October. And in that month alone, there were 88 baptisms. It's a curse to me. Because then I look at us well-situated in the States going, we're not very productive. And I'm not here to talk about numbers and all that stuff, guys. We're past those days, okay? I'm not trying to go backwards. But I want to see God do great things in our life. There's a lot of lost people out here. Way more than we realize. We're well situated, but in honesty, let's just admit it. We're not as productive as we should be. And now I know things are going well here. Things are going well in Dallas, but okay, we've had 50 baptism restorations so far this year in Dallas. Amen. 50 people right with God. But there's several million in that city that need to know God. Should I settle for that when I've seen more? You've got to ask yourselves, guys, what could you really do? I saw 17 disciples, less than a year in the Lord, go to a foreign city, didn't even speak their language, and 10 years later, there's now 10,000 disciples in over 30 churches. You've been around longer than 10 years here in Santa Clarita. Let's just get honest. Now you may go, well, but Derek, this is the state. I'm talking about God here. We all believe God can do anything, right? No, we don't. Or we would see it. Let's just be honest. I've been very challenged in my faith as I look back to those days. And then I look now and I'm, I'm excited about 50. And you should be. You'd be excited about one coming to God. But there's so many more people that need to know God. And we've got to get more radical in our faith. We've got to believe that God can do way more than what we've seen. He can be way more productive than what we've been. This is the first example of how the Spirit is going to work in the creation. But let's look at the first problem, unproductive. The ultimate result of the bad water is that it left the land unproductive. But what's interesting is the Hebrew word that is used here, translated unproductive. It's actually a word called shakal. I don't know if that's the right Hebrew pronunciation. But it means to actually be bereaved of children. 
to make childless, to suffer miscarriage. See, that's a whole other feeling of unproductiveness. Some of us may have that experience here today. I know my wife and I experienced two miscarriages while we were overseas. There's no worse feeling than that experience. Or those who have tried to have kids. We had a young couple that were teen workers of ours. All our teen workers got married to each other. So if you're single, serve as a teen worker. Good, good chance you'll get married. I'm dead serious, man. We had like a 99% conversion rate to marriage as a teen worker. It's awesome. But they had a challenge in that they really wanted to have children, and it just was not happening. And they began to consider all the different means and the financial aspects of it. And finally, we just said, you know what? God is greater than this. And the Bible says that that elders should lay their hands on. So we just, hey, Leanne's dad's an elder in our church. We said, let them put their hands on you. Within a short period of time, she conceived and now have a child. Guys, we've got to believe greater things. But a lot of us are unproductive. Titus 3.14 says this. Let's go to the New Testament on this idea of being unproductive. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. And when America stops being good, it'll stop being great. In order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Now, the thing is, we can trick ourselves here and go, yes, that's right. I've got to take care of our daily necessities, so I need to pursue this career, this job, this passion, more than doing good things. I see that temptation, guys. I saw the Soviet Union without capitalism, and now I see it with it, and trust me, it's made it worse. Which makes me value disciples in America so much more. It is hard to be a disciple here. It may be easier life, but it is harder spiritually. It was way harder life in the Russia, but easier spiritually. Coming back to the States several years later, seven years we were gone, a lot changed in seven years. Stuff that's on TV now, seven years earlier we're not on TV. The stuff that our youth are bombarded by through the Internet did not exist back then. Okay, I'm aging myself, I know. But guys, do we really understand how we're, we're unproductive because of the society We accept that we live in. No, it says devote yourself to what is good in order to provide for your necessities. We get it all wrong. We think we got to pursue these other things to provide necessities rather than focus on being righteous and spiritual. We better get that one right. Or in the end, the only option for us is being unproductive. The Greek word there is arkapos, which means unfruitful, unproductive, something generally useless. I don't want to ever, ever be considered useless to God. That terrifies me. But I know there's been times I have been because of independence and pride. And and depending on my own experience or my own feelings or my own dreams rather than on God. And that's a hard definition of unproductive, generally useless. I don't think that's any of our goals here today. If you're here, I don't believe that's your goal, but you could still be pursuing it without even realizing it. Now, the Greek word is usually translated as unfruitful in the New Testament. But here it's translated unproductive. And there's one other place that is also translated unproductive. Turn to 2 Peter 1, verse 8 through 9. 
For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive, our kapos, in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone is, does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. The end result of being spiritually unproductive, guys, is we're spiritually blind. Even at the point we forget what Jesus did on the cross to give us true freedom. Searching independence gives that away. We've got to search dependence on God. Both for the town and for us. Being unproductive is a very serious problem. You know, the Thesaurus paints the word unproductive in a very gloom way. What are some other ways unproductive could be defined? Useless, fruitless, futile, vain, idle, valueless, pointless, ineffective, unprofitable, and unrewarding. Anyone want to live that way? Yet if you're not depending on God and walking with the Spirit, guys, that's exactly where we'll end up. And God wants a lot more for us. So let's see how the Spirit, through Elisha the prophet, is going to change the situation. Because if we're in that state ourselves, whatever degree, the Spirit can turn it around. You may go, Derek, you don't understand. I'm so close to just walking away. Don't. The Spirit can turn it all around. It can completely change it. Let's move on in the passage. 2 Kings 2.20. So what's his plan? You got this unproductive land because of the bad water. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Okay, that's not exactly what I was expecting as a solution. But however, the point is not what it is, but that you obey what the Spirit says. There's a lot of things, guys, that over the years we think, yeah, yeah, we used to. No, if the Spirit says it, no matter how stupid it sounds, we need to obey it. A new bowl and salt. Huh. What is he talking about? So it really made me start thinking, okay, what is up with this whole new bowl and salt? Obviously, a bowl, even though it's new, and salt is not going to change the bad water by itself. Maybe it's that there's something about the new bowl and the salt that is symbolizing a greater principle that the Spirit is going to perform. So let's look at that first point, a new bowl. Why a new bowl? Why not a used one? What are the differences between a new bowl and a used one? A new bowl is clean, shiny, smells good. Well, if you washed it first, you know, you buy stuff from the store, it's still got that smell, you know. But, you know, a nice, new, clean bowl. Where a used one, well, that could be nasty. Right? Have you ever done that where you go to a dishwasher thinking it was washed, you pull out the bowl, and you Ugh! Right? Not good, right? So, so why a new bowl? Why would that be important? This is why. Anything that is to be used in the service of the Lord was to be undefiled. It's supposed to be clean. For example, the sacrifice. Leviticus 1.3. I'll just read this, but you can turn there if you'd like. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he is to offer a male without 
defect. He must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. Numbers 19.2. This is a requirement of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the Israelite to bring you a red heifer without defect or blemish, and it has never been under a yoke. Never been used. It needs to be new, not old, not used, not defiled, not defected. If we are to see our lives made productive again, it must involve a new bull. But the problem is, the older we get, the more we settle for what we're used to. I've been a disciple now almost 19 years. And I realize, what's new in my life? Yeah, I'm in the ministry, great, doing things for the Lord, but, but what's new? Am I just kind of pulling out the same old stuff? Same old messages, just rehash them? But what's new? And so one of the things we did in our region is, I appreciate this brother found this thing called Bible in 90 Days. Yeah, the whole Bible from cover to cover in 90 days. And I'm like, that's cool. I don't know, man. But then everyone's got excited about it, and then guess who got to host it? Me and my family. Like, okay, here we go. And we had a group of about 30 of us. Well, there was more at the first day, but they kind of dropped out real fast. But I have got to tell you, I've read the Bible every year in a year. But I can't remember what I read in January and December. But in 90 days, guys, you can remember what you read in Genesis when you're reading Revelation. There is things you begin to see of the scriptures you have never seen before. It was the most amazing new walk in the word of the Lord for my life personally. I did it again a couple months later. Don't recommend it during the summer when you have summer camp and all that stuff. Crazy. But guys, I really challenge you. What is new? What about physically? Those of us who are older, we're not the young guys we used to be. Now I'm 42. And I was like, my slacks are not fitting like they used to. And see, some of you knew me when I was like a bones, 50 pounds lighter, a lot longer hair. Should have kept some of it. Now I'm losing it. I was like, I got to do something new. And so then I heard about this P90X. Bring it. But I got to admit, they got it for me at Father's Day. I didn't start till August. But I was like, you know what? I got to do something new because I was running. But it's just your body adapts too quickly. You got to do something that's new in order for it to grow and get stronger. There's a whole idea of muscle confusion. So I decided to do it, and I was like, it was embarrassing. The first time you got to do these pull-ups, I'm like, three. 90 days later, I did 100 in an hour. I could do sets of 15 to 20. I couldn't do that when I was 30, guys. I remember the campus students came over and they're like, yeah, what's this P90 guy? Okay, go ahead. They were like trying to do pull. I beat them off. It was awesome. It's like, that's right, man. Bring it. One-arm pull-ups. I heard I, stuff I'd never done in my life. They had this thing called corn on the cobs where you have to go like this, boom, boom, back, front, down. You're just like, first few times I fell off, I'll be honest, okay? But guys, seriously, what are you doing new? I'm going to do it again. I love it. What are you doing new? Look at this passage back in Second Peter that we looked at earlier about being unproductive. 
Second Peter 1 verse 5 says, For this very reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot rely on what has already been used. We need a new bowl. You can't rely on past successes or be discouraged by past failures. You need something new. To be productive, we must have something new. Whatever you add is new. What are you adding to your faith? And you've got to begin with that. If you don't start with faith, guys, all the stuff you add is going to disappear. But what are you adding? Just having these qualities is not going to help you be productive. See, this is the mistake we make. When you first became a Christian... These things were so far removed from your character that, man, you were growing when you went after these. But when you've been a disciple for many years, how much has your love grown from last week? As a young Christian, man, your love is growing leaps and bounds. How's your brotherly kindness growing this last month compared to when you first became a Christian? Starting to see? See, as a young Christian, you're growing so much, you're productive. That's why it's amazing to me always these young Christians who know nothing bring more people to church, get more people baptized than us who have all the experience and wisdom. Why is that? Because just having these qualities does not make you productive. Go back to what the scripture said. It says if you add to your faith these things in increasing measure. So I had to really sit down and ask myself, how much new is my kindness? How much new is my self-control? How much new is my perseverance? How much new is my faith? Things that challenge my faith. If you will ask for it, God will provide it. I still remember we had an opportunity to go back to Russia uh, for a month with our family. That was phenomenal. And we prayed that God would just help us to relive what he can do. I shouldn't have prayed that. Because then I forgot how much we had to depend on God for every single thing in our life. And what happened is we were in Moscow, and we were going to take a late train back. Leanne got kind of food poisoning really bad, so she's getting really sick. So we have all our kids and a nanny. And we're, like, going to the train station, and then it's, like, packed wall-to-wall people. Like, what's going on? This is a night train. Supposed to leave, like, at 11 or something. And we find out the train that we're supposed to go back on got derailed. So we're staying in this place, and we're trying to figure out okay, what to do, trying to find a place for her to rest. And as I'm doing all that, I didn't realize that our passports, visas, and train tickets got stolen. So I'm getting them settled, and then, oh, no. And I remember even Josh just going, why would God allow this? And, and right then and there, you have to go, wait a minute. God didn't cause this. God loves us, Right? God, and we just had to remember what it was like in Russia, how much we had to depend on God for everything. And I know that my wife was seeing the stress on my face, and I'm like, pray. And so I started going back to all the places I was, trying to find it, nothing. Finally, I just said, God, 
I remember what you can do. You need to send an angel to this train station right now to find my stuff and leave it somewhere where we can find it. About 20 minutes later, talked to the militia. It's a good thing that we spoke Russian. That helps. And the guy's like, you know what? This happens a lot. Did you have money with it? I go, no, I always kept the money separate. Good. Don't put your money with it or it's gone for good. And so I'm like, okay, let's, maybe it went outside the train station. So we start going outside the train station. And we're looking in trash cans. And the second trash can, all of a sudden I noticed, I was the first one to see it, there's this brand new black bag wrapped on top of the trash can. And see, in Russia, you have to buy the bag. They don't give you a bag. You have to buy a bag when you buy stuff. And I, I see that, and I just, I go, no way. No, yes way. No, no way. Yes way. Get, get. And I hold it. It's all my passport, visas, and train tickets. And even the militia guy, what crazy guy buys a bag and puts your stuff there for you to find? I know. That was challenging, but it was new. It was a new faith experience, not just for us, but for my family, for my children. And there was some other crazy stuff. Losing Haley on the Metro. Josh got separated from I mean, crazy stuff. But the whole time, I mean, Leanne had like an IV on a broom. I mean, crazy stuff. But what it was, it was all new faith. New seeing God work. What's new in your life? You need a new ball. But there's something else you need. Salt. So, now let's answer the second question. We know why we need a new bowl, because that's what God uses in service to him. But why salt? Well, it's back to the sacrifice. Numbers 18, 19 says, Whatever is set aside from the holy offerings the Israelites present to the Lord, I give to you and your sons and daughters as your regular share. It is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord for both you and your offspring. Don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, 2 Chronicles 13, 5, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by a covenant of salt. Salt always represented a covenant with God that we are his people and we will obey his commands. Leviticus 2, 13 says this, season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. We know from Romans 12, we're to be a living sacrifice. But does your sacrifice include salt? Matthew 5.13 says this, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Now, the salt of the ancient days was a little more impure than today's salt. So it could become tasteless over time, and its residue is useless. Has our salt become useless? Has it lost the taste, the vibrancy of faith and trust and dependence on God? Are we relying more on ourselves and our experiences and our wisdom? Yes, we're still here, we're still sacrificing, but is there salt? We are supposed to be the salt of the earth. And so we don't appreciate salt because we can get it on our table. It's just right there. You stop at any fast food restaurant, there's salt. Any rest of salt. But back then, salt was like gold. It was a commodity. 
What are some important things about salt that will help us understand why this is needed in our life if we're going to serve God? First of all, salt comes in little pieces. Well, what's that mean? Unbelievers will be more impacted by multiple encounters with believers than by conversations with one person. It's the amount of the salt, not one granule, that makes the difference. Guys, that's what I saw. I've been to many churches throughout my whole life, but it's when I came to this church and saw the impact of all the salt grains together that blew my mind. Does it stop blowing your mind? It shouldn't. Guys, what you have here is something amazing. You don't see this kind of diversity in other churches. You don't see it. Dallas Church alone has over 44 different nationalities. You're not going to find that anywhere else. Guys, do we understand how it's all of us together that make a difference? So when you're out there thinking, well, I don't really make a difference. I'm useless. No, you are not. Because it's every single grain of salt in this room that's going to save Santa Clarita Valley. Every single one of you is important. One grain of salt will not affect much. But a bunch will. Go try some french fries with one grain of salt and see if that helps. You know what I'm talking about. Even when they come salty. Try some popcorn with one grain of salt. Not very good popcorn. We need some salt here, guys, all right? What's, what's another quality of salt? It preserves. They didn't have refrigerators back then. So how did you keep meat saved? You packed it in salt. Salt preserves. It was used to prevent meat from spoiling. Just as our involvement with one another prevents us from getting spoiled. Guys, we can't be independent and be a disciple. I don't care who you are. I'm an evangelist. You put me two weeks away from the body, I'm going to spoil. I'm going to revert back to, to my sinful nature, my independence. And I'll have no impact on those around me. Guys, we must be committed to one another. It must get greater. It says encourage all the more as each day is approaching. So you should encourage more today than 15 years ago. Are you settling for just so-so encouragement? That's salt losing its saltiness. We've got to be more encouraging to each other. What's another thing? Salt causes thirst. Motivational speakers often say, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But you can salt the oats. Guys, that's what we do. We, we can't make people become disciples, but we can salt the oats. We can share our lives, our testimonies, how God has moved in our life. And that's salting. It's making them thirsty. Thirsty for the answer that only Jesus can provide. But are we sharing it? Most of us, we know the studies forward and backward, but are you studying them? We just recently got our campus and our teens together and said, we're going back through the course studies because that's how I was converted. I was converted in a first principle series. I had to know the studies before I was baptized. I had quizzes on it before I was baptized. Kip even said, okay, you want me to stop? You got to memorize the word of God study and study with your roommate. What? Okay. So I'm sitting for hours in front of the mirror memorizing this word of God study. A week later, though, I baptized my roommate. Only later did I realize that's not expected of everyone. It's like, but I am so glad they expected more of me. You should know them. We did a quiz with our campus and teens. They've been around at least a year or more. 
They've had the course study sitting there in front of them for over a year. They all failed the exam, and the answers were given to them. I had questions with blanks, and then a list of all the answers messed up, and they, most of them got 20 or less out of 100. They were humbled. But now they are striving to know it. My, my daughter's part of it. She got perfect on her last quiz. <laughs> are you the salt? Good question. Salt causes thirst. What else about salt? It brings out the flavor. Salt should enhance the flavor of whatever it comes in contact with. If the correct amount has been added, you actually don't taste the salt. We taste more of the flavor when you get the right amount of salt. See, our presence as disciples should influence others. But that doesn't always mean you'll have positive results. Because salt can also make a wound hurt. But we still need to have salt. It can make people uncomfortable. But also, too much salt hinders growth. You sprinkle some salt in soil, it can keep things from growing. Guys, we need to be loving more than just passing information. It's love that shows we're disciples, not that we can do the studies with people. But we've got to know the studies, because that's what gives the thirst. The word of God, not our opinion. Are we using the word? Are we being salt with one another? You know, if you're sharing your opinion, you're not sharing your salt with someone. Your salt's from God. It's got to be from his word. It's what makes the difference. Evangelism is more about influence than coercion. Are we influencing? Are we being the salt of the earth right now? Can salt be made unsalty? Scientifically speaking, it actually can. Sodium chloride, salt, is one of the most stable compounds. In other words, if salt's not salty, it's not salt. If a disciple is not following the commission of God, he's not a disciple. You can't be partially a disciple and partially not. You're either a disciple, committed to the commission of God, of being the salt of the earth, or you're not. It's just that simple. And so you've got to ask yourself, are you sacrificing your life, coming to church, but not putting salt with the sacrifice? Have you lost your purpose and your mission? You better ask yourself. Because it's the most exciting part of being a disciple. Changing people's lives. One of the problems we have is the Dallas church is an older church. we got many who are 15, 20 years in the Lord. And some have been in the same small group or house church for 15 plus years. They are so connected, so loving toward one another, that God can't even send someone into the group because they don't open their hearts to anyone new. They're too comfortable, too relaxed. Oh, I don't want to change groups. We even just bring it up. Hey, maybe we should change. No, 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 no. No, I'm doing great. No, you're not. You're dying. If you're not willing to let new people come into the group, how are you going to make disciples? You've got to give it up. We decided some of these groups, they just have to change. I didn't care if there was flack. If you don't like what I'm saying, you can go somewhere else. Instantly. One of our groups we were part of was too big. We split up instantly within a month. They both were fruitful. Immediately. Because now there was room for them to open their hearts to someone else. Guys, we've become unsalty when you're in the same group for too long. There's a reason God moves his evangelists around. I may be in the same church for eight years, but I've been in many different ministries. And I'll be in new ones again, I'm sure. Because I want to be salty. 
I want to still have impact. I don't care if I'm 42 and these young bucks are awesome. You're going to have to work hard to replace me. Bring it. You know? But I believe in the young and we're going to raise them up. I'm not going to wait around for old people to get off their, their duffs. We're going to go with the new. And see, some of you have so much you could offer, but you've settled. You're not salt that has an impact anymore. So what do we do? A new bowl? That's right, you bring it. You bring that new bowl, and you bring the salt. Let's see what happened. Let's close out. 2 Kings 2, 21. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again, not just for a short period, never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water who has remained wholesome to this day, according to the word Elisha, the double portion of the Spirit, had spoken. A new bowl and salt did not heal the water. It was simply their obedience in having a new bowl and adding the salt that then the Spirit worked in the creation to make what was unproductive and unwholesome effective and whole wherever we're at today guys if you will walk in the spirit you will offer a new bowl not a used one put those away let's get some new stuff and you add some salt really having that great commission in your heart god's spirit can take that simple salt and that simple new bowl and do something amazing with it it's up to you let's close with one last passage where we we're shown earlier that we need to be devoted to doing good because if America's going to stay great, we got to stay being good, being righteous, being spiritual, having a new bowl and salt in our lives as we sacrifice to Him. Titus 3, we'll close out, verse 3 through 7. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of our God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal, new bull, by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Christ our Savior, so that after Him being justified by His grace, we might become heirs of having the hope of eternal life. Just like water in this town, we can be dead and unproductive without the Spirit of God in our lives. But God used Elisha to heal that water, not temporarily, permanently. If we're faithful in being obedient to the Spirit's commands, that we're going to find that new bull, whatever it is, and we're going to add that salt However, how many grains you can offer, then the Spirit can use that to heal our unproductivity, to heal our unwholesomeness, to heal our infectiveness, not temporarily, permanently. Guys, today, let's depend on God by keeping in step with the Spirit. And then we'll have true freedom, a freedom that's not only for us, but for all those who need it. Happy Dependence Day.